Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Proclaim your name. Let us not be silent. Lord, as we, your people, your community, just join in one voice to say that you are holy, that you are God. Thank you for joining with us. And Lord, we pray that you would just show yourself in a mighty way as we just pray in your name of your Son. I'd like to go to our third reading in our time of Lent as we just prepare our hearts for the resurrection of Christ. And I pray that you've been taking some time reading and praying and spending some time in, uh, asking and considering who you may invite on that Easter Sunday. I'd like to go ahead and read our third reading today. Usually God holds back His anger over sin, but one time He let it loose so we would know how serious it is to turn our backs away from God and towards the darkness, and so we would know how great His wrath is against sin. But He did not totally destroy His creation. He showed us His mercy through Noah. Scripture says the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. And Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. The flood continued forty days in the earth. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. And only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. But God remembered Noah. God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. So Noah went out. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me. Let's pray. As we come to our pastor's prayer, dear Almighty Father, Creator and Giver of all life, glory, honor, and praise be yours eternally and only to you. Speak to it this morning as we come before you. Prepare our hearts to receive your word. Challenge us, rebuke us if necessary, encourage us. Give us a greater measure of faith. Let us be satisfied in your good promises found in your word. 
Expose the sinful ways our hearts still yearn for control. Enlighten us with your goodness and your grace and steadfast love. Express your love for us as we meet together in covenant community. Strengthen those that may be here with broken hearts. Comfort those that may be suffering. Let us not be proud of our own human achievements or even in our increasing or growing knowledge. But humble us so that we may serve you with gladness. Restore and increase our joy. May others see it and be brought to you. Let us weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Let our love be genuine. And may there be harmony in your body. We pray this in the name of your Son. And all of God's people said, Amen, what a great God we serve. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to James chapter 1. I'm excited. After half a year of going through the letter of Galatians, the book of Galatians, we are now going to tackle a different book. James, this is our first one of going to a letter or a book outside of Paul in some ways. We've been through Matthew, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We've been through Galatians. We've been through uh, Malachi and Jonah in the first uh, 20 chapters or, or so of Genesis. And we'll get back to the finish of the rest of Genesis in the summer. But we're now going to tackle the letter of James, of faith that works. I'm excited about this letter. This is going to be an enjoyable one. I don't know how long it'll take us to get through there, but we want to do our, our best to go through it in a, in a pace that helps us to understand what this letter is. And over the past few years, we have come to learn many of the great doctrines of God. Doctrine meaning those things that are revealed by the Holy Spirit through His Word. We've come to understand the doctrines such as the inerrancy of the Bible, the sufficiency of the Bible, the reliability of the Bible. We've learned the nature of God, the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the nature and works of Christ, the nature and works of the Holy Spirit, the nature of man, the gospel of salvation, and also the nature and purpose of the church. We here at OBBC, by the way, believe that theology, the study of God and the doctrines, those things that it teaches us, is very important. And we believe that it's the responsibility of every Christian to understand and to know doctrine and theology. However, knowledge of God is not enough as knowledge itself puffs up if it's never applied. It's worthless if it's not applied. And that's where we find ourselves as we begin to read the letter of James. The letter of James is a very practical letter. It deals with actual implications of living out the gospel, of living out our faith. And you and I need to be reminded of that, do we not, from time to time. It's important. Theology is important. Knowing correct theology is very important. However, it also must be, loved, be lived out. And many times I feel that's the disconnect between what we teach and what you and I do outside these walls. And You may be able to, uh, to say amen to that in your own life because you know yourself that you struggle with that. Mark Laffler 
writes in his introduction to James that James is perhaps one of the most quoted texts in the New Testament. It is well known for short, pointed phrases in the style of wise sayings. For example, be doers of the word and not hearers only. You know that one. Or how about submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The ESV Study Bible editors note that concerning this letter that there are over 50 imperatives or 50 commands in this letter of just 108 verses. Concerning the influence and the source of these commands from James, he writes, Mark Laffler, I say, continues to write, that it seems clear that when one compares the saying of Jesus next to James, that the author heavily relies on Jesus' teaching. For example, and I want to show just a couple of these. Look at James 1.6 and compare that with Matthew 21.21. 21. He says, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And where Matthew 21 will also give something very similar. James 1.22 with Luke 6.49. The deep doers of the word and not hearers only. And you see the same thing in Luke 6 where he goes on to say, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And then the last one, James 5.12 with Matthew 5.34 where he goes on, but of all brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth, but let your yes be yes in the same way in Matthew chapter 5. James was clearly supporting his imperatives with the sayings of Christ. So what we'll see in James is not so much theological statements and theological arguments that we find very often in the letters of Paul. What we're going to find is someone who is saturated with theology and is now saying to his community, this is what you need to do to live this out. This might suggest that it also would be very familiar with the teachings of Christ. This letter, as you read through it, is filled with word pictures, very much like Christ in his teaching. And it's very similar to the book of Proverbs, and it has much in common with the wisdom books of the Old Testament. So I'm looking forward to this letter of James and I encourage you to begin reading it through us. It's a short book, 108 verses, and I would encourage you if you could read it through once a week especially and then dwell on the passage that we'll be doing each week, you'll find yourself understanding the book and finding it more impactful. Let's go to the Lord and just ask for His blessings. Father, I pray that you come and join with us this morning as we just share this letter of James. Thank you for this letter. Lord, I pray that you would open our minds to receive your word with, with gladness. Lord, may we humble ourselves and with the Holy Spirit come and do the working that it needs to do in our lives. Many times when we hear imperatives, when we hear commands, Lord, our hearts and our just brings up barriers and we resist it. Let it not be so. And I pray that you would just be glorified and do the work that you've ordained this to do. And we thank you for joining us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's look at James 1.1. I want to make some observations. Let's go ahead and read that. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. The writer of this letter is self-identified as James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we have to ask our question, what, well, who is it? What James is it? It doesn't give us any more detail. We know that there's only one Paul, but in Scripture, we're going to see there's about four or five Jameses. If you look at the screen there, you'll see that who are the Jameses in the Bible? Well, you see, we have James the Less, one of the disciples. He was the son of Alphaeus. We see James, the father of Judas, not of Iscariot. We see James, the son of Zebedee and the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder and one of the early martyrs of the church. But then we see one of the fourth one, James, the older half-brother of Christ and the brother of Jude, who also wrote the epistle that bears his name, Jude. Tradition and evidence has seems to point to James, the half-brother of Jesus, as the author of this letter for many reasons. So I just want to give you a couple of them. James was known as the pillar of the church of Jerusalem. When Peter escaped from prison with the help of an angel, he is quoted as a saying in Acts chapter 12. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. He was also the presiding elder of the church of Jerusalem. He was the man who was the one of the equals, first among equals. If you take your Bibles and turn to Acts, if you would, join with me. And you're going to have to forgive me. I am not able to look down. I hurt my back this week. Let's read just a few of the verses there. Look at with me, Acts chapter 15. And let's look at what's going on here. In verse 1, But some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, we've just spent 25 weeks discussing that in Galatians, and we know the answer of that is, of course not. Verse 2, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But now, then he gives testimony of what God has done. But then go to verse 12. And in verse 12, in the assembly, after hearing what God had done, through their ministry, the assembly fell silent. You can almost imagine them. They give their testimony and they're silent. And the question is, who's going to speak first? Who is going to take charge? And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. And they did. And then down to verse 22. And then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas and Barabbas and Silas, leading men with the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in the Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. What was the letter that they gave them? The words of James. By this time, James had become the pastor, so to speak, or in our vernacular, the senior pastor, maybe the teaching pastor of the Church of Jerusalem. And you might remember the Church of Jerusalem was the first church. It was a very large church on the first day. 3,000 people got saved. And the Lord added daily, it says, those that were His. And we see that James 
is that pastor. He was known as James the Just, as tradition teaches that he was a very faithful follower of the law. And he led in a very austere lifestyle and was finally martyred in AD 62 by stoning. It is believed that this letter was written sometime between 44 and 48 AD, which would make it one of the earliest, if not the first, letter written. The letter of James has many different themes, as it does not follow one major topic as Galatians or Corinthians did, but it moves from one imperative to another. And so sometimes it's like a shotgun approach. Do this, do this, don't do this. The theology and doctrine of James seems to be assumed by the writer, and he expects his audience to live out their faith. Some of the topics that we're going to be covering is belief in one God, coming, the coming judgment, or wisdom, or the difference between poverty and wealth and how that plays out in the assembly of God, the Christian life and how we're to live out, the interplay between faith and works and justification. On this next slide, there's kind of a, a word doodle, and in it you'll see that there's all sorts of words in there. And as you see, the smaller ones are how many times they're in, and the way the words get bigger, you'll see those words are in the letter more and more. So you see like Lord, brothers, works, faith, God, the law. And in there we're going to see there's going to be a lot of things we're going to cover, but we're going to find that they're very, very practical for us. James' primary theme is living out one's faith. If we were to get a theme, it's about living out one's faith, being a doer and not just a hearer of the word. And that's as apropos then as it is today. For we find ourselves very many times like the ancient church. As the scattered church in Jerusalem is scattered, it's struggling and living out the implications of the gospel in their daily walk. James writes that the obedience to God's word brings spiritual blessings. Many have argued whether or not the messages of Paul and James are contrary to one another. But most likely, due to the early date of James, James may not even be fully aware of Paul's teaching of justification by faith alone, which leads many times to some of the things that people think are contrary. One major topic that you and I are going to address as we go through this letter is the question, what is the relationship between faith and works? As we saw in Galatians, we are saved by faith alone, not of works. That was what Paul was drilling in to those churches. But then you and I now come to the other side of the coin, the bookend of the other side, as now James is going to say, but without works, there is no faith. And so you and I need to try to understand that as we live out this Christian life. Many times it can be confusing, can it not? We don't always understand it. We ourselves get caught up in in trying to do good works or prove ourselves or make ourselves right with God, but yet there's other times that we just bask in the justification of God and in His grace, not realizing that the two are go hand in hand. But as we continue, we believe that it was James, the brother of Jesus, who's the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who wrote this letter. The recipients of the letter is very simply. He writes it to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now this can refer to several different groups of people as it has a literal and a figurative meaning. And it means here in this case, it's regarding the Jewish population that's scattered among the nations, if you take it literally. It's the Jewish diaspora. 
Those Jews had been dispersed in the Assyrian and Babylonian captivity described in the Old Testament. It also might include those that the Romans had pushed aside. We also see that it could be referring to those Jews who had been dispersed after the martyrdom of Stephen in Acts chapter 1. If you have Acts chapter 1 available to you, you see that there arose on that day, the day of Stephen's martyrdom, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And it has also been given not only a literal meaning, but also a figurative meaning regarding that it's all Christians that are scattered around the world. Now, of course, our goal in reading scriptures is always to try and understand the historical, grammatical, and literary background of the letter. And that's important for us as we go through. And though it has benefit to us in reading and understanding and application, it seems to me that James is writing here to those Jewish Christians who had been regenerated by the Holy Spirit from the day of Pentecost and onward up to the persecution. This letter has a very Jewish feel to it. Take your Bibles if you're still there in Acts eleven nineteen. Luke writes of the spread of the gospel due to this dispersion. In Acts eleven nineteen, he says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution, speaking of those that were being persecuted in the Jerusalem, that there arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word to no one except the Jews. So in the beginning, the Christian church was very much Jewish. And that's where they would go from synagogue to synagogue, sharing the message that the Messiah had come and that His name was Jesus. We also can see the Jewish flavor as we look in James 2.2, where the Greek word translated assembly actually is the word for synagogue. In James 2.19, we see that they, they believed in monotheism. They believed in one God and we see in very several verses and chapters that the law is very central to the writings. And even though these Jewish Christians no longer lived in Jerusalem, James obviously had a very great love for these people, and he felt a pastoral responsibility towards them. And he opens his letter with the words, greetings. It's a short word that must have been an encouragement to the people that most likely felt alone and isolated from their homeland due to the persecution. I'd like to take a moment, though, to share what really struck me this week with this first passage. And here's where I felt myself, where I stopped here. Why did he stop with just one verse? Why didn't he continue? It's because I read this one verse, and I, I, just, I just tell you, it just stopped me in my tracks. And it's the one thing that I dwelt on. Now, the one thing I always find is the one thing that's encouraging to me and maybe passionate about me is not always yours, but I want you to see yourself as we look in James 1.1 when he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we saw earlier, James was the brother of Jesus. If you had your Bibles and you want to turn very quickly to Matthew chapter 13, verse 53, it says, when Jesus had finished these parables and when he's speaking, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown of Nazareth, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? As Jesus goes back home, the people are just amazed. Look at what he's doing. And you can imagine the words coming back to them. 
They ask in verse 55, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And I say this just in case you may come from a background that believes that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a perpetual virgin and never had any children. We see here in Scripture that she had more sons and daughters after Christ. But what struck me, though, was not who James was or his physical relationship with Jesus, but what James thought of the message and the ministry of Jesus. You see, when it says here that James, and he considers himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I must remember that James, even though he was the half-brother of Jesus, was not a believer in Jesus as the Messiah. He actually rejected the mission ministry and the message of Jesus. Take your Bibles, John chapter 7, 1 through 5. If you turn there, you'll see, it says that after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see your works you are doing. For no one works in secret. If he seeks to be known openly, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. Well, here's his brothers. Why are you here in this little backwards country? Go to the urban areas. Go and show yourself so that everyone could see who you are. Now, was that because of a word of encouragement? Because of the pride they felt for him? No. For we see it in that last verse. Read it out loud with me if you're able to read it. For not even his brothers believed in him. James did not believe in Jesus. He did not believe his ministry. He did not believe his message. He might have even thought the man was just half crazy. He's not a believer of Jesus. Let me ask you, could you imagine what it was like to be Jesus' younger brother? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine Mary and Joseph saying, James, why can't you be like your older brother Jesus? He picks up everything. Look at your scorecard. This is your report card. Look what Jesus did. He got all A's. Could you imagine that? You go picking on Jesus, and Jesus says, oh, I forgive you. It must have been maddening. It must have been crazy. Jesus is always sharing with you. Jesus is always encouraging you. Jesus is always loving you. That's no way for brothers to act, amen? Anyone here have brothers? That's not the way brothers are to be. But how does anyone live with perfection? Could you imagine probably the bitterness and the resentment that had to have been in that home? We think of everything must have been hunky-dory. But I doubt it. James was a fallen man. Joseph was a fallen man. His brothers and sisters were just as human as you and I. But here we have Jesus. And to grow up next to someone like that must have created some resentment and bitterness. And obviously they did not understand who Jesus was. And on top of that, I would think that Jesus was actually a little bit bitter towards Jesus. For here Jesus is making it big. People are just 
thronging to him. They hear all these great miracles that he's done. So they go to see them in mass as a family. And look with me as we go to the next passage, Matthew chapter 12, 46 and 50. It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mothers and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, Jesus, your mother and brother, they're standing outside. They're wanting to speak to you. Jesus replied to them in verse 48, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he says, Here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. It had to have been harsh to hear that. They go to see them saying, well, we're at least Jesus' brothers and sisters. Surely we can get in that crowd. Maybe there was a little bit of pride wanting to get up in there. Yet there they are, and Jesus publicly humiliates them by pointing to who is truly are his brothers and sisters in Christ. Or maybe this really was maybe the, the knife that maybe really got them as we go now to John chapter 19. And we find Jesus is on the cross. His last few moments are there. And John records those last moments where he says, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene. But look at verse 26. But when Jesus saw his mother and his disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, speaking of John, Behold your mother. And look at the rest of that verse. And from that hour, the disciple took her home to his own home. You got a mother? Would you give her to someone else? What would your brothers and sisters say if, if your mother was ill or was coming to the place near the end of her life and you looked to someone else and say, hey, I want you to take care of my mother. What would you do? Would you stand up and say, oh, yeah, that's fine. We don't want anything to do with our mother. We read through these verses and sometimes we detach ourselves maybe from someone that's not important. But here, James here has lived with this perfect person. He denies him. He rejects him. And then publicly, he's kind of humiliated as, as Jesus says, well, these are my brothers and sisters. And not only that, Jesus at the end of his life says to Mary, to John, take her. James is left holding the bag. Who is Jesus to do that? Could you imagine the emotional state and the mental state of James? Would you take a moment and just consider that? As I was considering this message and I was looking more and more in the life of James, I thought, how in the world could James ever consider himself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? I could imagine in my own self that that relationship had been very difficult on his end. Jesus in John 44 actually said himself that he testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And it seems like he had no honor even with his own family. I can recall the same thing. Many of you, I've told you before about my brother Steve. He has a large ministry to addicts. He passed away several years ago, but for 15 years... He built this international ministry. It's humongous. And I can tell you there are times when I go back, and early on he would have me preach from time to time at, at one of his things, but as it got bigger I wasn't uh, high enough in the class to, 
to preach. But I remember going back there from time to time. And you got to remember that I'm the oldest of the family. Steve is the youngest. And it was interesting. I would go back and when people would find out who I was, oh, you're Steve's brother. You must be proud. How much have you done for God? And I would say, well, wait, wait a second. Steve is my brother. I'm the oldest. And by the way, I never fall away from Christ. I've been preaching and teaching and been a member of Christ's family longer than he has. You know, you, come on. We, we have those little things, do we not? Would you agree with me? Are you with me? Probably in your own families, is there not sometimes a little jealousy, a little resentment maybe, a little bitterness sometimes? We have those. James was not a believer. He rejected. So what happened from there to there? Something happened. Something had to change James' heart. Other than Mary, it seemed that Jesus' whole family rejected his claims. They rejected his ministry and his message. However, something changed after Jesus' resurrection. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I just want to set it up at verse 3. Verse 3 here says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And now here's where I want to get it to verse 5. Look at And that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So he has appeared to all the disciples. Look at verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. So in other words, brothers and sisters in Christ, of those that believed in Jesus, he appeared to 500 during that 40 days. Most of whom, Paul says, are still alive when he wrote 1 Corinthians. Though some have fallen asleep. But look at verse 7. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. What is Paul telling us? Is that after the resurrection of Christ, during those 40 days, before he ascended into heaven, Jesus appeared to his half-brother, James. Scripture doesn't tell us of that meeting other than what we see right here in Scripture. We don't know what was said or where it might have been, but Jesus presented himself before his unbelieving brother and the wind of the Holy Spirit came and James believed. Let me tell you, that excites me when you see that. See, what encouraged me and should encourage you today is that the wonderful grace of God is given even to those of us that at one time opposed the message of Christ. Amen? There is redemption for those who do not believe. God is a God of second and third chances. There was a time where James, who was bitter and who was angry at God, at Christ probably many, many times, we rejected his message. Jesus, in his grace and his mercy, presented himself and said, James, James. Oh, I wish the scripture could have recorded what he said. How the Holy Spirit must have opened up his heart and enlivened him to the fact as he sees Jesus for who he truly is. Could you imagine the emotional baggage and the burden that he probably felt and then just melted away when he realized that he was wrong 
the whole time. Wish that he could go back and say, wish I could do it all over again. But God opened the heart and the eyes of him. Yes, God opposes the proud. And James was proud. The scripture says, but he also gives grace to the humble. And at one point, the Holy Spirit humbles James. And such were some of us. Opposed to the message of the gospel. Proud in our own works and our achievements. Maybe even bitter towards any notion that you and I needed a savior. But now like James, we believe. James came to understand what Luke wrote about in Acts when he said, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is, say it with me, is Jesus. I can almost imagine every time that... Uh, James saw Jesus, he probably sounded like Newman on uh, Seinfeld. Jesus. Could you imagine? Oh, Jesus. But there was a time when he looked at him and probably fell on his knees and wept. He said, Jesus. Jesus. To God be the glory for his wonderful grace. Amen? The interesting fact here, James does not identify himself with his physical relationship to Christ, but only his spiritual relationship. He's a servant of God and Christ. Not, hey, I'm the brother of Christ, so listen to me. No, I'm a servant of God and Christ. He did not take pride in family ties, but he considered himself an obedient servant. The word actually could be better translated as the word slave. At once he rebelled and rejected his half-brother. Now he says, willingly, I'm enslaved to him. Whatever he desires, whatever he wants, I'm a slave to him. Willingly is how James identifies himself. My prayer is that may we too ourselves be as servants of the Most High God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great epitaph. This is what we should want on our graveside. Rob, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be great? Randy, a slave of God and, a, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you, who are you a slave to today? Do you find yourself still in rebellion or rejection? Or do you find yourself humbly prostrate before him and say, you are my God and you're my king? Love this. Sir David served the purpose of God in his own generation, and then he died. Let it be so said of us. So as we read Scripture, many times we go through. But I encourage you, as we go through James, take a little bit of time. Understand where James is coming from. This is a James who once rejected the message of God, who rejected the ministry of Christ, but now says, I'm a slave, an obedient one at that. I want to give you three takeaways. I'm going to give you three applications if you're taking notes. This is something that you and I need to understand just from this simple passage, James 1.1. Is you and I, we are to know theology, but we need to put it into practice. And that's going to be the challenge as we go from here. Please don't miss a session. Don't miss a message. 
You and I need to understand what these imperatives are. We need to learn how to live our lives. We need that encouragement. We need to put in practice our faith. Number two, God is always with His children, no matter their circumstance, no matter their position, and no matter their location. These poor Jewish church that have been scattered through the winds, James does not forget them. As God says, write a letter to them, encourage them. And let me tell you, you may feel that way yourself. You may feel yourself, you're scattered in the wind. You may be working in a place that doesn't love God. You may be in a family who doesn't love God. You may be in a location and a place in your life where everything seems to go against God. But let me tell you, God has not forgotten His children. And He will not forget you. Then thirdly, this is important. This is one that I needed to learn. And that's why this was encouraging to me, is that we are to never give up or write off anyone as unredeemable. I did that. I wrote off someone. It was my dad. My dad didn't know Christ, didn't go to church. He went when we were young to some of the plays and some of the events, but eventually, by the time I reached seventh grade, he didn't return. He asked for the church no longer to come and visit him as they would try to come and visit him almost monthly. He said, take me off your prayer list. Quit praying that I'll get saved. He said, come off the prayer list. And as I grew older and older, I would remember doing things, you know, to try to encourage my dad to come. And we would slip stuff into his newspaper, little tracks and things of that nature. But he never came. You couldn't have a spiritual discussion with him because it would just resolve in anger, and that never helped. I remember doing that as uh, an older man with a kid. One day we were talking and driving, I said, well, Dad, let's... And it just got in anger, and I just had to disengage. So I stopped praying for my dad, other than maybe once in a while. I had pretty much conceded, well, my dad just rejected God. Until 2001, next October... I get a call, and it's my dad. He says, hey, Robbie. Uh, by the way, he calls me Robbie. Hey, I just want to let you know that I got saved tonight. What? Yeah, yeah, Steve was being ordained tonight, and Pastor Allie, who he liked, was a pastor, came back to do the ordination. And he asked him when we come forward. So, you know, afterwards I asked him, and I said the prayer. I'm getting baptized. He said, what? Actually, you know what? Steve actually called and told me first, and I just couldn't believe it. You're kidding. Then my first thought, oh, he waits till I move out to California to do this? I had kind of written it off. I'm dealing with a lady right now who's written off her husband. What a sad thing. Who have you written off? Who do you figure is never going to save? You stop praying for them. You stop sharing the gospel. Maybe you just do it all good. because You know what? I'm never going to win anyone to Christ. Well, you can't. Your job is not to win anyone to Christ. Your job is to share the gospel through the proposition of God's word and through our lifestyle, which James is going to share with us. But let me tell you, we are never to give up or to ever consider anyone as irredeemable. Because if you and I were friends of James, we would probably say James will go to his grave bitter against Jesus as his mother is living in somebody else's home. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
As I said earlier, the letter of James is going to be more practical and it's going to be more rich in application than many of the other letters and books that you and I have been studying up to this point. Together, I want to encourage you to join with us each week as we explore the imperatives of this letter in order to put our faith to work. And I'm going to ask you today, would you pledge with me to not be like the man in James that he writes about in chapter 1, verse 23, who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, but then he looks and he goes away and forgets what type of manner of man he is. Like the Jewish Christians, I want to give you a warning. Like the Jewish Christians who read this book 2,000 years ago, you may find yourself in this letter thinking yourself godly and righteous. The Holy Spirit will expose the hypocrisy and the failings in your life. That in itself may keep you from wanting to read and study and attend these messages. But let it not happen. Let it not be so. You and I may find the disconnect between what we believe and how we live. But let us come together as a covenant community, rejoicing that God says you are redeemable. May you and I respond eagerly to the Spirit's promptings, repent and confess our own sins, and will you and I find the God's grace that He gives generously to His children. Would you join with me as we take the book of James and we become obedient slaves of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this letter of James. Father, the, what You did for James, the transformation from, from non-believer to maybe even a bitter man to one who now considers himself a slave of You, Lord, we all want that in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would do the work now to transform our hearts and to be that type of attitude, to humble ourselves, to see ourselves as slaves and servants of you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us to live out the imperatives of your gospel. Thank you for doctrine and theology, yes. But Lord, may we live it out. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And Lord, there may be some other requests that were not made known this morning. There may be some hearts here that are heavy. There may be some who are struggling with their faith. Lord, there's some who may be struggling with many different things. Lord, we just put them in your hands. And I pray that we as a church can bear one another's burdens. And Lord, that we can encourage one another. That we may love and do what you've called us to. We pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.